Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Scottish Property Podcast. My name is Stephen Clark and I'm joined as always with my co-host Nick Ponte. How are you, Nick? I'm good, Stephen. Yes, all good. Who have we got this week? So this week we've got another guest on. Fantastic guest. We're actually getting a lot of English get, uh, guests reaching out and wanting to come on the Scottish Property Podcast. And, it, and it's great. It's getting it's great getting so, so much diversity. Diversity. Fuck. Fuck that. <laughs> 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 Keep going, mate. We're no ed- there's no editing. Oh, we're no editing, we're no editing it. Right, there's shit. no editing on this podcast. The so good this- thing, here, listen, I'll jump in and save you. The good thing about <laughs> reaching out to some of our English friends is that we're getting a wider audience. And obviously, I mean, just today, actually, I took a call from an investor uh, who's based down in England, who's invested in Glasgow, just bought a buy to let up in Glasgow. Um, he actually met his wife in a Glasgow university and then he listens to the podcast and he's now bought a place up here. So it's good. Uh, I mean, there's, there's great high yielding investments up in Scotland, as we know. Um, so with a lot of people coming uh, up to the north, Manchester, Liverpool, they're finding that market really saturated as well. And it's, um, and it's a lower entry point, which our guest, Rosie from Arch Investments, spoke about today because she has to invest five hours from her own home just to kind of get that, that entry point where you're, you're borrow, borrowing private investors' finance at the start and you can't borrow, a, you know, you're not going to borrow as much. You don't have a track record and that bit of credibility. So, so she had to go north, which was five hours journey. And she, she, took, she speaks quite a lot about that, wasn't it? And the, the, the problems and issues she had with doing that. Yeah, no, I was interested in it, especially in kind of the mindset of investing kind of remotely and five hours away and that. I'm a bit of a con- control freak. I like to nip in here and there when I'm doing a refurb, make sure I'm on it, make sure the guys are, everything's happening. Um, I've talked to you endless amounts of times and, you know, I meet up with you for coffees and you tell me about all these amazing deals up in Aberdeen and I'm like, oh, maybe I should, so I don't know if maybe I shouldn't. And then I always never end up pulling the trigger and then I feel like, oh, it's just a mindset block that I've got. But uh, so there's all that we go into and how she manages everyone about finding the right team because she's got a really good letting agent, which she said is the key to obviously her being able to sleep at night and not have to deal with all the stresses and stuff like that. Uh, so I think that's a really key factor. And also about how, the, how, how, how her and her husband have built up their, their kind of equity share and their, their property investment fund from doing up their own house and selling their own house and moving up the kind of property ladder. Yeah, that was interesting. And it's it's a source that a lot of people, you know, don't realise that it's effectively it's tax-free money if you flip a few houses that you live in uh, and you can use that for investing funds as well. So we'll cut straight to the interview with Rosie. It was great. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Rosie from Arch Investments. Thank you very much for joining us on the Scottish Property Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Brilliant. Can you can you start by telling the, the listeners a lot about, about you they, for those that don't know who you are or follow you on social media? Yeah, of course. So I'm, as you said, I'm Rosie from Arch Investments. I'm one half of a husband and wife team. Uh, We're based in Kent, so very much the opposite side of the country. Um, Well, different country to you guys. Um, (laughs) And we've been investing for about four years now. We um, invest five hours from home um, and have built a portfolio in the northwest of England, um, but live in Canterbury and Kent ourselves. Um, who knows that so my background before property I um, came out of university and landed in a job in in fundraising and marketing for a local hospice Um, at the time I didn't realize that was going to give me any experience in property Um, but of course fundraising I'm I'm now I've now used that for um, raising investor funds speaking to people about money um, is not something that came easy to me back then but 
asking people for money for nothing versus asking people for money um, for a good return. And it's a lot easier than, than fundraising for a charity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you know something you just touched on there as well? Is I, I see a lot of them on Instagram as a, you know, as property investors that are couples, you know, it's a husband and wife team. And I'm, and then, you know, I'm always nudging my wife, like, look, there's another one that are smashing it as a husband and wife team. Why can't you come and, you know, help me in this business? But uh, how, how does it work for you guys? Is it good? Yeah, so Alan um, still works full time. Um, he he uses property as um, it's a great it's a great second income. Um, he's not in love with property like I'm in love with property. It's not a passion of his. So it's he he likes the strategy side of things, finding the deal, figuring out how it works, and then he sort of just leaves it to me. So I do all the what he calls the boring admin, um, the letting side of things, all of that. Um, Chase. Basically, my whole job is chasing, chasing solicitors, chasing brokers, chasing, as you probably yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so he, he doesn't get involved with that side of things. I'm very much on the ground. He's high level um, strategy side of things. Is he quite happy in his job then? Because like, you know, we, like we hear it all the time. People want to like, you know, quit the nine to five. But some people are quite happy or like they like that security of having the steady wage. Like That's it. Alan, Alan thinks he's James Bond. <laughs> he he sells he sells airplane cockpits for a living. Um, so he gets to travel the world, um, meeting all sorts nice. of um, airlines um, to sell all sorts of cool equipment um, right. for for cockpits. So yeah, he loves like it. So I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's he's gonna give up for for going and sorting out the toilet at one of our rentals which is what he'd end up doing if he was if he was full-time in property plus it gives you that (laughs) (laughs) it gives you that stability as well doesn't it do you know what i mean so like if you hit a bad patch in property or things are not working out or you know like you have trouble refinancing or you've got a tenant that's not paying at least like one of you have got that steady income coming in which i think is something to be said for exactly it's the mortgageability side of things it's really helpful um and i should say if, if things go badly also we're still only four years into our journey we're still in that growth stage and as a lot of property investors will know uh, you always feel broke so that extra bit of income coming in each month um is much needed because we're in that growth phase still absolutely takes the pressure that's growing you you mentioned there rosie that you you invest five hours from home yeah what, what was the deciding factor to start investing when you started out five hours away to be completely honest with you we had no money mm-hmm. um we started uh, we got involved with this through a like many people do a property um, investment training course uh, so we put a lot of money into our education and they had um, told us all about this magical place called the north we did not know you could get houses at I mean we've bought houses at forty thousand uh, pounds that's not going to be a shock to you it was a shock to me um, so we we didn't have the funds to start out so we knew we could do it up north um, but but even still we we used investor funds on our first ever deal because we just didn't have the the capital we just we just been married just bought our first home not a lot of capital in the pot so i think it was so much easier to to borrow private investor finance starting off for a lower amount rather than where, where you're based exactly exactly it's a much easier pitch on a 40 50 pound yeah. house as a buy to let as well of course in the south buy to lets it's very difficult to get the return to get get a investor on board whereas up north a much easier proposition yeah, yeah i think that's good and if we could just spend a bit of time focusing on that you know investing remotely because it's not something we've covered a lot 
I struggle with the whole concept, like because I like to have everything in my own backyard, you know, be able to drive past the properties and all the rest of it. Stephen's I <laughs> Stephen's very different, right? He's like obviously he, he stays in five, he invests in Aberdeen, which is what two and a half hours drive away. Yeah, yeah two hours, yeah. It's about yeah. two hours, right? So that probably doesn't seem a huge amount to you, but for me, that would be that would be too much. And I've I've struggled, and just recently, like they're you know struggling to find deals here in Glasgow with the market's so hot. But I'm still seeing like Stephen here doing well in his investing area. But I still can't get into that mindset. So how did you guys find it at the start? Were you quite did that? Were you quite okay with that? Like how did you get past that initial thought of oh I'm, we're miles away? What if anything goes wrong? I think if we hadn't done it at the very beginning, we would have never done it. Um, we would have got used to investing from home. So we we made a plan and we decided to go up to, to the northwest every three weeks. Um, so we would arrange viewings one week. Um, then we the next week we would go. The following week would be all, all the due diligence and putting offers in um, so we had that little schedule of one two three weeks and we did that religiously for a good year um, and we didn't have an, our first offer accepted for nine months so that was really tough to start with um, continuing to go up there five hour journey there five hour back um, in a weekend because we were both working full time so where was the area that where was the area that you chose to invest in or were there a few options and you were like it was so we started by looking in Birmingham because Alan had lived in Birmingham before um on on his grad scheme on rotation we really liked Birmingham the prices were too high still um and there was a lot of competition from other investors so we went a bit further north lots of people like Liverpool at that at that time and still do um and we so we thought bit of a sheep let's follow them up to Liverpool we did not like Liverpool um again it was very saturated with investors we found it very difficult to get to know the market um what one road was very different at one end to the other end in terms of house price in terms of um tenant type and all of that so did you just find it a bit risky there did you just feel a bit like yeah we we also found that the agents didn't really have time for us um because there were so many investors and what we found is it's when investing away from home it's so important to get those agents on side and if they don't have time for you how how can you get to know an area you've you've never even been to where we settled on which was the Wirral just over the water from Liverpool um 20 minutes over um but not so saturated with investors and we liked the people, we liked the houses. Um, the accent wasn't so strong, so I could understand it a bit better. <laughs> so, you would struggle, you would, on, you would struggle coming up to Scotland, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Do you know what I, I liked it as well? Like you mentioned, you know, you, you, you did travel back and forward for, for nine months before you find the first deal. That's a lot of things, that's a lot, of, a lot that people don't really understand, which is just delayed gratification. You know, you're working full time, you're spending you know your, your majority of your weekends going back and forward to find properties for nine months before you even get one then and even at that point you're then funding it you're then kind of a renovation i'm assuming to then refinance it a hell of a lot of work that goes into that project for probably over a year to get what a couple hundred quid a month and building some equity but you know people people really don't get this whole delayed gratification thing of working now for the long-term future 
exactly and and a lot of people especially in the south 200 300 pounds a month is not of interest to them no. at all um so it, it's it's building that so yeah. going up once every three weeks at that nine months to a year stage it snowballed so yeah. all of that effort came good in the end um but what was the driving people... force to keep you going when it was difficult and you still weren't getting offers accepted and you still weren't quite defining your area so the, the thing that I tell anyone starting out is tell everyone what you're doing. And that's exactly what we did. All our friends, all our family, social media knew that we were now property investors. and This is what we were doing and we were going to be amazing. So after nine months, it was pretty embarrassing um, having not bought a house and everyone was asking, how's it going? Um, but that kept us accountable. The fact that we we paid a lot of money for our education and learned all about what we need, what we needed to do that kept us going and the fact that people kept asking us oh how's the property thing yep still haven't bought one um so we we had to we had to make it work to save face if nothing else love it I think I think with me it's like obviously it's the unknown like I'm sure if I went up to say Aberdeen and I got one under my belt and I bought one and it was cash flowing well and I got a good tenant and then I'd get that confidence and I would be like great this is fine so how did you guys you know take the steps to do the research on that first one to have the confidence of going in there knowing that it was going to work is there any top tips for researching the area um I mean I spent my whole life on right move um so that was the first thing but viewings um I I now coach some people on on doing this sort of thing from a distance and going and viewing even if you're not interested in the property going and doing that viewing, speaking to the agent about that road, about the road surrounding it, walking the streets in that area, um, driving around, what else is for sale? Are they rundown houses? Are there cars in the middle of the day? What sort of tenant type, tenant type are you looking at? And really getting friendly with not just the estate agents, but the letting agents, speaking to first and foremost, going to the letting agents and asking where would be the best person, best place for this little, these little buy selects that I'm looking at um before then going to the estate agent and seeing do you have any of these uh that the relationships were, were huge um and then of course being able to get up there is another thing which was really hard so when you do get a call from an estate agent saying we've got something on being able to sort of drop everything you've got that weekend which was sometimes too late and just getting up north um to view it and so, oh, sorry on you go Steve. acquisition you know, stuff aside, what about when you actually got the offer accepted and picked up the keys? What about the renovation side being that remote? How did you manage to build a team up um, of trades and, and builders? So to start with, um, unsuccessfully, I would say, <laughs> uh, we had a, a recommendation um, from an HMO letting agent, well, a letting agent generally, he did all sorts of stuff. Um, and he was jack of all trades. He had a build team. He sourced properties. He was fantastic um but he wasn't <laughs> he was a, a complete crook um screwed us over completely and because we were five hours away it was very easy for him to do so uh so anyway long story short this guy's got some sort of prison sentence now because he's such a fraudster um but from there the team that rescued us on that project didn't really want to come and do all the little bits at the end um they have been our build team up there ever since and and yeah, they've been again. We 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 made sure we got the recommendations. What kind of lessons learned from that first experience did you put in place to kind of avoid it for the next one? Like, was it more regular updates or payment more at the end, heavier way, way towards the end? Or 
yeah so i think um making sure that you've got regular communication and not trusting even even the builders that we trust not trusting them fully um yeah. you need to be having those phone calls having those video calls um and on our latest project for example which was an hmo a uh, 12 bedroom hmo i was up there um every week making and i get, gave my job up for that so on a large project for a large project of that size you yeah. you need to be there a lot you can't just every three weeks that's not going to cut it um be making sure that you're keeping an eye on them and get them they're, they're getting everything that you want in that project done and would you like you know turn up and find that there was like nobody on site sometimes when they've said that they were you know cracking on with it like catch them out at all you know because i would presume it'd be quite easy to kind of pull the wool over your eyes especially when you're five hours away you know yeah yeah absolutely so uh, that communication was key for that Mm. um and every time we went up we would log everything we would make take photos of everything put it in an email or message whatever was easier for them uh, and make sure they're coming back to us with all of that I mean snagging the snagging stage is always my least favorite for that reason because it's awful endless um goes on and on and on we could we could have been snagging this HMO for a year I'm sure but Mm. at some point you have to draw a line so (laughs) it's a case so it's a case of you need to kiss a few frogs to find a, a few good people, don't you, to to work with? Like, was there a, somebody, like, I always find there's always, like, somebody, one person that you find that, it, you know, ends up an absolute gem. Is there anybody that you can identify in your kind of team now that you've got that really kind of helps you out? Yeah, so our, we've got a couple of letting agents, one for our buy select portfolio, one for our HMOs, two HMOs, um, 12 bedrooms, the two six beds stacked on top of each other um our hmo letting agent has been a breath of fresh air i've had four letting agents over the years I've, i can't find a good one when you're five hours i would manage it myself i'm such a control freak if i could i'd manage it myself but five hours away it's just not realistic um so i've handed that over to him and i he's, he's just brilliant i occasionally yeah. check in and he has we're f- f- fully let. Um, Nathan from Portislets, I'll give him a bit of a shout out. He's he's just very, he, he's a landlord himself mm. and he does exactly what I would want to do in every situation. He's firm, but fair with the tenants. Um, he's all about customer service with them, but also with me. Um, and that's, yeah. Do you think for, for your kind of the team that you've built up that it's important to have the people around you, property investors as well, so they kind of get it rather than just doing a job? Um, yes, to, yeah, to an extent, with especially with yeah, letting agents mm-hmm. makes it makes a huge difference. Um, I'm not sure I I wouldn't want to be a letting agent managing other people's properties. I think it's hard work. Um, but but yeah, and we've found that with um, mortgage brokers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, our our mortgage brokers fantastic for that. Um, really good at uh, thinking like an investor for us yeah. and thinking outside the box. What about this idea of property being like passive income? You know, you hear a lot about this term passive income. So like now that you find a good letting agent and stuff like that, I mean, how much time do you, do you mean, you know, do you still have to spend quite a bit of time on the portfolio and the properties and stuff like that? So we have um, a, a property down here and we are building a portfolio down in, in Kent as well. So that is take the growth of that is taking taking a fair bit of time. But the managing of the properties up north, um, it's not fully passive. It can never be fully passive because there's always going to be questions about maintenance or or whatever else. I think we've got it to a stage where it's as passive as it can be, but 
but of course it's still time at time in the week um and it always will be even if you go on holiday you're still going to have to have your phone with messages coming through about I mean when the the, the storm a couple of weeks ago um I was just panicking every time I got a message please don't be my letting agent um yeah. saying the roof has blown off um, but do they, does he not give you solutions like because I always think a let, good letting agent should give you a solution to the problem and say like we can fix this and then yeah. really ultimately it's just you to make a decision absolutely yeah and that sets him apart from the rest in that in that respect I find most letting agents we've had don't do that um he very much does yeah good no it sounds good and um, when you went from the buy to lets up north into this HMO project just touched on there was that a, a scary step to build up a bigger project something a bit meatier as well yeah absolutely um and Alan will tell you that I didn't want to do it um I don't like to tell people that but I really did, I w- didn't feel ready for it at all and as I say Alan very much um blue sky thinking strategy high level and then it gets passed to me so I I, w- I didn't feel ready for that and I did get some coaching on how to um manage a refurb of that size because it it was a huge step from a I mean I think the most the biggest refurb we've done was sort of 25 grand um except our home which was slightly fancier stuff 40,000 but the the refurb on this one was 210,000 so massive refurb in comparison um but it had fallen in our laps it was fantastic numbers and I can talk through some of those if, if, if yeah like. yeah please do that um, good, yeah. but yeah it, it we couldn't not do it so we purchased that property for 172,000 um it was a block of four flats that had been illegally converted 20, 30 years ago, um, and there was no fire separation between any of the properties. Um, you had to walk through the ground floor flat to get to any of the other flats. It was just not fit for purpose at all. And we wanted to turn it into more flats because we like our little buy to let model, but we couldn't make the numbers stack. So we, after a lot of planning drama that I, I won't go into, we converted it into, um, we were allowed to convert it into two properties, both six bedroom HMOs. Purchased it for 172,000. We spent 210 on the refurb. I think it was 55,000 on fees. That includes all our angel invest, investor interest, um, all our brokers, planning, everything else. And then the end value on that, we got 500, 550,000. Um, so really, really strong numbers. I think it was 171% return on investment or something ridiculous. We weren't expecting it to be quite that good, but mm. the valuer could see the finish and, um, that was a commercial valuation based on yield. Oh, based on 10, percent, uh, 10 times yield on the return. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And, and I'm, I'm assuming the, the, the cash flow on that one, brilliant with, with 12 rooms. Yeah, yeah. We get about two and a half grand a month cash profit on that one. Superb. Who's your, who's your kind of target market for your, uh, for your tenants? So with that one, it's young professionals. Um, and the Wirral is a funny place. It's, it's got... It's not a funny place. It's a lovely place. It's got lots of um, <laughs> these big Victorian buildings that lend themselves really nicely to HMOs. So over the past few years, there's been lots of investors coming and doing these these lovely HMOs with big rooms, high ceilings. Um, so we were a little bit concerned. We had put a dummy ad out to, ch- to check our demand, uh, but ha- having not done HMOs before, we weren't 100% sure. Um, but we've been really pleasantly surprised. We're sort of the top end of the market in terms of our finish uh, and what we provide. So we were fully let very quickly. And you think what sets that project above and being successful was the standard the finish you'd done on the renovation? Yeah, that's it. Um, I also think a good letting agent helps. Um, yeah. He's he's very much 
stand out with his customer service when he's showing them around. He's he's not just opening the door, off you go. He's selling the property. Um, and he's throughout the process, he's there um, helping with anything they need. So in terms of them staying longer, it's only been let since August last year, but hoping that we'll have that longevity of tenants as well. There must be some big lessons learned in a, a renovation project of, of that size. Oh, don't do another one. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I was living up there um, three days a week towards the end of the project. Um, so I, I would not be doing another one five hours from home. Um, that was my biggest lesson, lesson learned. I, I would love to do another one down here, but five hours from home, living in the refurb um, with a blow up bed was not fun. Um, but I think something we did was get some coaching on on how to how to how to manage a refurb of that size and that's important well, in any any well, any yeah. type of uh, anything you're doing in property if you don't know what you're doing especially if you're using other people's money if you're using your own money it's your fault if things go wrong crack on um if you can take that risk but if you're using other people's money you need to make sure you're clear on what's going on that's a really good sentiment, actually. That's a really good point. And it's and a lot of time that people won't won't be that cautious when they use use other people's money coming off a, a training course. Yeah, that's it. What about obviously, you know, you're you're obviously sounding like you're doing them to high level standards, like for the right young professional market. Stephen, uh, when he does his refurbs as well, I'm always surprised. Like I see his yeah. pictures on Instagram and it's really, really nice high-end quality refurbs, you know, <laughs> down here in Glasgow, you can get away with a little bit less. Um, uh, you can get away with it on a budget, but you don't hear this talked about in the kind of education circle very much, I don't think. And it's about reinvesting back into the property because if you're doing it to such a high standard and the market can be quite competitive, you know, with a lot of rooms, HMOs on the go, then presumably you need to like set aside a bit, you know, for the kind of upkeep, the maintenance, repairs, and all the rest of it. Do you factor that into your figures at all? Yeah, so I mean, our training course is always always talked about this ten or fifteen percent, depending on whether it's a buy to let or an HMO. Keeping keeping that aside each month, um, so you have have that when when you come to um, need to do a new kitchen or a new bathroom. We, as I say, we're still fairly early on, so we haven't had to do anything um, major mm-hmm. like that. It's it's little bits of upkeep um, rather than a new kitchen or bathroom. Um, but when it comes to that, yes, we have a pot uh, that we do dip into when we we will clear out all our bank accounts if we find a good enough deal. Um, but again, it's it's when you're when you get to a point um, where you refinance in five years, you hope that value's gone up a bit. If you had to dip into that, um, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. we wouldn't love to do that. We, once we've remortgaged once, that's it. We we would like to leave it but if it was in desperate need of whatever and we didn't have the funds there then we've got that opportunity to remortgage well let's just talk about the money then because i know you're quite a big fan of like you know using equity from your own home so talk a little bit about that and how you've managed to use that to your advantage yeah so um one of our favorite strategies is using our home um, almost flipping our home so we've done that once in our in the home that we're currently living in um we bought that for 285 and we're just about to sell it for 460 460 how long have you had it uh two and a bit years 
Oof, nice. And, and we spent, we, I mean, it, it was a wreck when we bought it. There was four zookeepers mm. living in here um, on rotation. So as you can imagine, all sorts of stuff that I won't go into on the floor. Oh, it was awful. Um, they hand-reared baby animals, so uh, disgusting. Um, so, yeah, we spent about 40000 so very much on a budget um, with that one. And, yeah, selling for four sixty. So that money, um, we remortgaged it when we finished the refurb at 410 and the, and now we're selling it at 460 so that's an extra 50 grand of um capital that we're getting back and we're now moving on to a new a, a new doer upper which we've been able to move up so our first home which was the one before we're in currently uh, was a two bed two bed terraced house and um, then we've moved up to a four bed terraced um with a countryside views very very nice um, and now we're moving on to a five bed detached so it's a really good way of moving up the property ladder um we've we've found so we're going to do a refurb on that and then my my next dream is a beautiful georgian um fronted house in the millions but we'll see that might take another 15 years <laughs> it's a fantastic strategy that not a lot of a lot of people talk about um it's something i've done a lot myself as well and then but even before i got married and my and my wife's name because you know it is your place of residence so you're paying no ads and then when you sell it on you're paying no capital gains because you're like primary place of residence that's it yeah exactly it's it's and 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 people don't think about it I don't know why people don't think about it I mean I I understand if you've got children it's not so easy um living in a refurb but it's it's just such a good way to to create wealth Mm -hmm. and we've seen my my parents do that um they built they bought a derelict farmhouse um 25 30 years ago and have renovated very slowly they've not done the whole remortgage in two years pull as much money out as possible but the wealth they've created in that one property over over 25 years is is incredible yeah so it's basically like Stephen says it's like tax-free tax-free income in effect that you can reinvest elsewhere yeah and it's a great place to start if, mm. if you're not sure where to start in property you can you can go and buy buy your if you've got your own home currently you can go and buy move home into a doer upper and you well, don't and it's, have, a, it's a low entry point because you, you don't need in a what five ten percent deposit on your own place of residence and then exactly. you're not needing 25 percent you don't need to pay ads and a, and a huge amount of fees as it's, it's a low lower entry point like you say you could do it up on a budget you don't need to do it quickly on a project because it's your hope your home Exactly. You know, renting somewhere else or living in a mortgage house somewhere else and doing up the property you can be doing it as you go over a longer period of time yeah i guess the downside to that of course is if you sell your place quite quickly then you can't buy another place then you're gonna have to move in with your mother-in-law or something like that so <laughs> sure, I mean. <laughs> well i mean yeah you joke we are um so the, we managed to get a very good deal on our next home um and do it in in buying that we've we've agreed to not buy in a chain so we're in the process of selling our home and then we've got probably three month gap so we are moving into my mum and dad's granny annex for three months so exactly <laughs> I, like, that. I like that it's an annex like i so you've got a well uh, yeah we did we did it we did it a couple of years a few years ago as well uh when we were doing the major bit of the refurb in here we moved in for a few months so um whatever it takes is sometimes yeah, what right. you've got to do um, and we're happy to do it a lot of people aren't but it, it can um pay dividends yeah no when i was a kid i lived in a caravan for a while uh, while my mum and dad were building a house so yeah i remember I, that. I, was, I was talking about my mastermind group call last night and i remember growing up in my dad's renovation like they say that took them 15 20 years to do and i remember getting ready for school 
in front of the, the gas fires with the bottles with the three bars freezing cold like chitlin oh. trying to get changed and, it, and it's like you know you do that kind of shit because you you know that it, it pays dividends and it can get you where you, you need to need to go it's exactly. like making a sacrifice isn't it that's it exactly and that's and that's property investing all yeah. over it does take sacrifice and all these all these youngsters who want to get on the property ladder it's doable if you make sacrifices um yeah. i think is key yeah absolutely what what's the what's the end goal for yourself and alan then what's what's the plan for your for your property company so we're looking to expand our portfolio in in the southeast now um we've we've done enough of the traveling five hours um uh, what's happened years. to the world like i mean surely like you, it sounds like you found something that works there so why it, no more properties up there nick i think i advertised it far too much on social media so everybody has come to the wirral and I'm finding deals on the Wirral now is so saturated, possibly more than Liverpool. It's crazy. Um, so we, we've looked at different strategies. So in, in the southeast, we, we're in the process of buying um, four units, two commercial with two flats above. Um, got a deal on that because people aren't looking at commercial. Um, but we've got uh, two new 10 year leases, very safe, really good, really good rents on those. Um, so it, we're diversifying a little bit because of the market the way it is um we were also buying a block of freehold flats as well um again because not not everyone's looking at those um that's not to say all your listeners need to go and look at freehold flats i mean they're in scotland so yeah. <laughs> probably not too much competition but um no we but, still yeah. get we got a lot of competition up here yeah yeah definitely. yeah but not for me you're not competing against me <laughs> uh, oh yeah yeah no i get i get your point it's, uh, uh, it's interesting because I felt the same when, you know, speaking on this podcast for the last two year, or two years since we've been doing it and yeah. constantly talking about how I've changed my, my investment area to, to Aberdeen. And, you know, even when I went up there last week for valuation, someone approached me like, are you Stephen Clark? I listen to your podcast every week. I just bought my first investment property. I was like, shit, I'm, I need to shut up. I need to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but I mean, great that the podcast is getting so, so well known. Uh, but I've created myself all the competition in Aberdeen now. Hopefully That's helps it. To the way I look at it is it helps the city grow a little bit quicker and then invest the, the property prices start to rise back up quicker then. Absolutely. We'll all win. We'll all win. Yeah. Social media, how have you found that? And, you know, like, has that brought you any uh, private invest investors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of, I mean, we, we love social media for networking with other other property investors um, and, sit and gaining motivation, inspiration from what other people are doing. And it's it's led me to, to being on this sort of podcast just like this, um, which is great exposure and really enjoy chatting to, to like-minded investors. But yes, one of the main reasons we, we put so much effort into social media is from that investor side that we are looking for investors all the time. Um, and we've, we've, gained a good following over the years we've been consistent with it not so much now um life's busy and and everything else is going on but to start with we were we were very very consistent i made a new year's resolution one year posting every day on on instagram um, and i stuck to that and that's really where where mm. we grew grew that following um the algorithms liked it i don't know um so so yeah investors we, we've never really had to ask for money um 
we find that the money side of things is a lot easier than the finding of the deals. I don't know if you you find the same thing. Um, it's the yeah, finding yeah. the deals is hard. Mm. But if you find a good one, the money's the money's easy. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you said you love the pro- love property and all that. We all love property. That's why we talk about it so much. But what would you say your most ha- you know hated part or the dreaded part of property is? You know, like oh. the downsides, the stuff that causes you the stress, like. So we have, until selling this home now, we've never sold a house. And I tell you what, it's the most stressful thing I've done in property, selling a house. I thought buying a house was supposed to be the more stressful part, but selling um, all the questions that you get asked about your lovely home. I'm like, you're very lucky to be living in our lovely home. So <laughs> just, just be quiet now. Um, no, but apart from that, planning has been an absolute nightmare on the one project we've we've gone through planning on. Um, so I've, I do not enjoy that. But apart from that, and chasing solicitors is my one of my least favorite as well. Um, but apart from that, I, I I do enjoy it and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. One thing for me is like you think you've built up a good team, you know, you worked with people for years and years and years, and then uh, you know, I've just noticed recently, like, I mean, my mortgage broker that I've used for a while was probably listening just now, actually, but <laughs> It's like it's taking it's taking three weeks to get back to me on an email, and I'm like, this is just unacceptable. And like, just chasing people, you shouldn't have to chase professionals. I think once you start having to do that, it's time to change, um, you know, broker or whatever. But just that kind of thing, just sometimes it just drains it out of me. But um, yeah, absolutely. Especially when they're touting for business there and, and wanting more business, you just think, look after the business that you've got. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. You touched on there about your social media as well, um, helping you gain, gain cash. Is, that's what's, is that what's kind of built you up the investor pot and brought you back down to your, your kind of nearer home for your, building your portfolio? Is that bigger bit of investment you've been getting? Exactly. When we started out, we had very little funds, as I mentioned. So we went north, um, but now we've built that investor base. Um, we can come a bit close to home and stop doing the five-hour journey, which and, is just going to be a lot, a lot more efficient in in every way. And, and a lot of it came from Instagram, you said. Yeah, social media in general. That might be people um, that we've we've met before who then follow us on social media, um, friends and family. If we weren't talking about it on social media, friends and family wouldn't know about it because we're not going to a family event and talking to everyone about property. I mean, I would if I could, but make everything about property. I, but, I do, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I've, got so no, I've got no small talk. <laughs> so so it's just it's, it's just a great way of, of documenting what you're doing because otherwise people don't know. And, and the amount of people who have from school um, 12 years ago who are coming and, and asking, how are you doing this property thing? People from previous jobs that I haven't spoke to for years and years. People are interested in property, um, but if they're not sure how to get into it, investing is a great way to almost get your foot in the door. Yeah. Shit, you just made us feel older when you mentioned school was only 12 years ago for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's, been, it's been great having you on, Rosie. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. And I, I know we've covered so much there. We've, we've covered a lot of the journey. We've spoken you know, a lot and a lot of details there. Um, where can people, the listeners, reach out to you or, or follow the rest of your journey as well? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been it's been great. I, I am mainly on Instagram. Um, we're Arch Investments on Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, all, all the usuals as well. Um, our website is archinvestments.co.uk as well to find out what we're up to. Um, 
we'll be we'll, be, we'll post them in the show notes as well Love thanks that. thanks again for joining us really appreciate it thanks so much guys really good to speak to you thanks rosie all the best with your house sale hope it all goes well thank you so guys hope you enjoyed the interview with rosie it was great to chat with her and their plans for their investing and as always, if you could take some time to leave us a review, that'd be much appreciated. As always, we do the first Wednesday of each month for a property networking event, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. It's this Wednesday. I know when this will be released, but it's the, we're, we're moving up tomorrow for Aberdeen. You've got Glasgow, um, Linda Martin and Gary Willis. We've got Edinburgh and Kirsty Sleamy and Paul Cummins. have got Dundee and they've all got fantastic guests on each of them lined up, which look really looking forward to them. Sorry, I need to get a dig in here. We don't need to promote Glasgow because it's always sold out, mate. So. <laughs> but uh, get yourself up to Aberdeen because Stephen needs as much support as, as you can get. So uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. I uh, really appreciate the support and speak to you again next week. Thanks a lot, guys.